So I just want to just take a moment and just say thank you to all of you who prayed for us. Last weekend we were in Houston and our daughter Kate had sort of her next round of follow-up appointments there in Houston and uh, we just sense every time we go through tests like that your prayers and we're so grateful for them. She met with her neuroradiologist who has done two different incredibly extensive rounds of radiation and it was just good to see a smile on her face as she tried to figure out, how are you doing so good after all we've put you through? And so it's amazing. Yeah. And so we are incredibly grateful for every prayer, and I just want to thank you for that. Uh, after that test, we went to her neurocognitive evaluation, sort of a psychological exam, and it's like four hours one-on-one, her in front of this doctor and asking her questions, and she completed it. So just that fact is amazing to me. I don't know if I could do that. Uh, we'll wait six or eight more weeks before we get those test results, but just for how she's doing in school and all of those things, we just, we just believe that it'll come back being good news because she's doing so well in all of those other areas but it's it's just you know that bittersweet kind of moment to be back in Houston where we've spent a good four months of our lives in very intense treatment and and to go back now while while things are are sort of really good in in the news department with Kate and so it's just you go back and you're just sort of um, breathing differently as you walk through those hallways you're not holding your breath quite as deeply, at least for your daughter. You're doing it for other people. But, but I wanted to say thank you for uh, praying and just hanging in there and asking and all of that. And you guys have been amazing and gracious and all of that. So our family is very grateful. Thank you. Uh, one of the things, or, or a couple of things that we absolutely love about Houston, we love going there because there's so many good people that we've built relationships with and there's such good food. But that's about it. Because then you have to drive somewhere. Has anyone ever driven in Houston before? All right, that, it, it's just not fun. It's bad. It's like, what is wrong with you people? Where, where have you come from? So you drive in Houston. It's a test of your faith. It's a test of your patience. It, it, it shows the reality or the lack thereof of your salvation. And if your spouse is with you, it's a test of your marriage and your communication and conflict skills as you're driving and she's watching me not try to just flip out because of what the driver in front of me just did. And so it's that kind of thing. It's like, wow, where do you people learn to drive around here? And so it's it's one of those times for me last week where, do you know those times where God is trying to teach you something and and you don't necessarily get it and he, he keeps trying to teach you and trying to teach you and reminding you, hey, I'm trying to teach you. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm pretty thick headed. I'm not getting this at all, am I? Well, just days before that trip, um, 30 of us from here at Hillside, uh, a good combination of staff and leaders and some of our servant volunteers who serve in different capacities. We went to a conference in, Southern, in, in Orange County. I can't really say Southern California. We're all in Southern California. Um, a conference in Orange County, and, and it was amazing. And the very, very first thing of the conference, this band uh, came out and led us in worship. And, and this band's from Australia, and they're like all tall, and they're stylish, and they have this beautiful accent. So every word they say, it just sounds intelligent and, and wise, no matter what they say. It's sort of like a southern accent. You know how that is. But, but I'm watching them, and then they start playing, and, then, and they do things a little different. They have like breaks in their songs where they just play music for a while. 
the first time, it's like, oh, cool, they're really good. And, and then they sing an, again, but then they play for another extended time, and their songs are a little bit longer than our typical songs, and there's lots of instrumentals. And I found myself at the first couple of songs just being like, can we just sing already? Like, more instrumentals? What's going on here? So then we get sort of to the next set of songs, and, and I'm getting ready to have that same attitude, like, could we just sing already enough with the jam session? I'm in a hurry. I'm ready to hear this teacher. And it was as if God just said to me, slow down. Pause. And he began to sort of work that into my heart and another song comes and they do another one of those instrumental kind of deals. And it was as if this word just sort of popped into my head and my heart. Selah. It's a word in Scripture from the Psalms, mostly, 70-some times in the Psalms. This word is selah is used. It means to pause, to reflect, to just slow down for a minute and think and consider. And it was as if God was saying to me, you're too hurried. See, in the, in the Psalms, the Psalms are songs. They are Old Testament songs. And, and there really are those breaks for like the jam session, for the instrumental in the Psalms. Those are the Selah moments. Because Scripture is saying, I want you to think about what you've just sung. I want you to consider these words. Not just sing them, not just get through them, not just endure them. I want you to meditate, hear, listen, receive these words that you're singing. And so those musical breaks, whether it's in the Psalms, whether it's in our modern day songs that we sing, whatever it is, they're there for a reason. They're there for us to slow down and to think and to consider that maybe what we just sang with our lips needs to go further than our heads. It needs to sink down into our hearts and so that was the first session I hadn't even gotten by the first session and God was already convicting me you're too hurried you're always in a rush and then Friday morning we wake up and uh, the speaker at one of the first sessions was John Ortberg and a lot of us know him we've read some of his books and 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 here's one of the first lines out of his mouth hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. He, he said this idea that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And one of our staff members said this, as she was um, hearing this verse, the, there's a guy sitting beside of her, thankfully not from our church, that was just busy on Facebook, like, like oh, next thing. And as Ortberg is saying, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And I thought, are you sure that wasn't me? I've got those things going on and I have it in my hand. I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm here, but I'm sort of here and I'm trying to do all these things. Oh, what do you know? Uh, it, it can wait. And we're in one place, but our mind is in another. We, we may be even in a conversation with someone, but mentally we're somewhere else altogether. We're not even present in the places that we can be present. And so, Selah, this idea of pause, reflect, 
think about. And this isn't an adult thing. This isn't a certain age and stage of life. This is a life thing. This is something that from even the youngest of us already, I mean, my kids can't even go to dinner anymore and sit through a meal and look at us in the face because they're like, hey, Dad, can I have your phone? Hey, Mom, can we have your phone? Oh, and we happen to have one of our iPods. So now all the three kids are happy. It's like we're, we're, we're in our culture just becoming hurried everywhere we go. And Selah is sort of one of those maybe spiritual timeouts. And I think I need God to put me in spiritual timeout a lot. You know, timeout like for my, my son, for instance, it's like, hey, you just did something wrong. Go to your room, you're in timeout, and think about what you just did. He doesn't want to do that. But go to your room and think about what you just did. It's, 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 but this Selah idea is that sort of that, let me just stop and think about things. We need those probably sometimes in our marriage, right? I mean, we don't fight in our marriage. We have those temporary moments of miscommunication. I know some of you fight and you have arguments, but we just have temporary moments of miscommunication. And, and we need those Selah moments where we're just like, let me just get apart and think about what I was getting ready to say before I say it. You know what I mean? So like I don't say it. We need those, those little breaks to just whoa, slow down. Here's what's interesting. This is how we've been created. This is how we've been created. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis tells us the story of God creating everything there is. And day 1 through day 6, God is making and it's good. And day 6, the pinnacle of creation, he makes man and he makes woman. And, and it's very good and God is pleased with his creation. And then day 7 arrives and Genesis continues the story what is God going to do next he's created all this that there is what is God going to do next so Genesis 2 thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array and by the seventh day God had finished all the work that he's going to do and so on the seventh day he what rested from his work then he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating he had done it's even part of creation. It's a part of the way that God operated himself. On the seventh day, he rested because rest is vital to us accomplishing anything. Vital to us living the life God has created us to live. You see this in the Gospels numerous times, but one of them in Luke chapter 5. I think it's this amazing story of Jesus. And as Jesus is going through towns and villages, he's teaching. And people are amazed at his teaching. Jesus is performing miracles and people are amazed at his miracles and from all over the areas where Jesus travels, people come to hear his teachings, to be touched. Luke 15, 5.15 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear about him and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I mean, ministry was taking off. Notoriety and fame was taking off and it was reaching a climax. And right about the time it was getting ready to just be so many people they couldn't contain it, Jesus would just sort of walk away, go find a spot, pause. And you could say, but, but there's people who need to be helped and there's people who need to hear your messages. But Jesus modeled with his life. But there's those times where we have to pause. There's those times where we have to just get away Get out of the craziness of our lives. Slow down and refresh. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalms 
And we'll begin in Psalm 32. But I just want to give you an overview of different kinds of pausing that Scripture calls us to. Different examples of Selah that we can find in Scripture. And I believe one of these will speak maybe to where you're at in your life. Psalm 32 is the first one that we'll read. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. He's saying we're blessed, and it's, it's a word that doesn't mean just happy. It's far beyond that. It's, it's joyful. It's the blessed life. It's a life that we can't accomplish on our own. It's one that God gives to us. We're blessed when we're forgiven, when we understand the grace of Jesus. Verse 3, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then he says, Selah. Think about that. What he's describing here is, is struggling under the weight of guilt. Struggling under the weight of shame. Struggling under the weight of regret. And he says, Selah, think about that for a minute. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just felt sorry that it, you felt shame, you felt guilt, and it, it almost felt like you were wasting away inside? And he says, remember that. There, there's some really, really good news coming, but you've got to remember that first. Verse 5, then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. So he says, on the, on the one hand, on the first part, have you ever, have you ever wrestled with shame, rest, wrestled with guilt? And he says, remember what that's like? Remember the agony that there is? Remember just the, the pain, the remorse involved? But he said, but don't stay there, go on. Remember what it's like to be forgiven. Or if you haven't ever experienced it, can you imagine what it would be like to be forgiven, to be free, to have a conscience that is clear? Can you imagine the joy of forgiveness? Selah. He says, think about this. Think about Jesus. Think about the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus has. That's why he died on a cross, so we could be forgiven, so we could be free, so we could be rid of guilt and shame and regret. Be washed clean. Think about that. If you had the choice, would you choose to live in guilt and shame or would you choose to live forgiven and free? And he says that choice is available to all of us. We believe and we receive Christ's forgiveness in our life. We can have it. The joy of forgiveness. Wouldn't you choose that? Won't you choose that today? Think about it. Man, I'm in, I'm in tough conversations these days. A lot of you know the, the pattern of funerals that I've had recently, and I have another one this afternoon that, that just is heart-wrenching. And even last night after the, the service last night, I had a conversation with a guy, and, 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 I, and I just, you know, he's on, this guy's on his, a friend of the family's on his last leg, and, and I just said, does this guy know? Does he know that, Jesus loves him. Has he ever received that love of, of Christ? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know why he's still alive. And I said, well, maybe God's given him more time. 
Maybe God's given him more time to, in God's grace, he's not died yet because God is giving him more time to receive, to respond, and to experience the joy of forgiveness. To experience this wholeness that only Christ can bring. Maybe God's giving you another opportunity to hear about that today, to receive it. This is like a spiritual timeout. Selah. Think about not what you have done. Think about what Christ has done for you. And receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace. Go over to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, it's a psalm that is written by David. The same David of like David and Goliath. King David, that guy. This is a wrestle that David is having with God. And it's a wrestle that on one hand he's trying to say, I'm trying to be disciplined, I'm I'm trying to be good. And and at the same time he's saying, but I, I just understand I don't have that ability in myself. 39 verse 1, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. He said, when I was trying to do things myself, when I was trying to have it my way, and even trying to be good in my own strength, my anguish increased. Verse 3, my heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned Then I spoke with my tongue. It's like a moment of surrender. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Selah. Well, that's encouraging this morning, right? Your life is but a breath. Would you do something with me? Would you just inhale deeply and then exhale? In light of eternity, that was your life. In light of forever. I don't care if you live 10 years or 110 years. Your life is a vapor. Life is a vapor, it's a breath, it's here and then it's gone. If if it's true that we take on average 12 breaths a minute, that would be 720 an hour, that would be 17,280 a day, that would be 120,960 breaths a week, that would be 6,286,920 breaths a year. And it's gone like that. It's gone like that. But listen, here's what David is saying, or he's not saying when he writes this. He's not saying, I want to know the date of my death. He's not saying, show me my life's end. Show me the number of my days. He's not saying, I want to know the date of my death. He's saying, remind me, God, to live. He's not saying this to scare us, but to awaken us to live the life that really matters, the life that God has called us to live. He's not saying life is short and life is in vain. He's saying, God, help me not to waste my days, not to waste my breath. There's this article that came out last week in Fast Company magazine. I I thought it was very intriguing. It was called, Busy is the New Lazy. Busy is the new lazy. Uh, that alone was, was, was worth me reading the article. Because I've always had this interesting 
conundrum, and I've told you guys this before, of when you say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? And people always respond, and I do sometimes as well, busy. Sometimes we say it almost as if it's a badge of honor, right? And I have this temptation where I want to say, how are you doing? And somebody says, I'm just busy. I want to say, I'm so sorry. But they wouldn't like that, I don't think. Well, this article echoes that idea. It echoes the sentiment. It says, so we are, um, when we say, I'm busy, this, this lady, Janet Choi, who wrote this article, was saying, we're actually trying to say a, a couple other things. She says, I'm busy equals sometimes I'm important. Here's how she describes it. Being busy gives people a sense that they're needed and significant. It's also a sign saying that you're about to be on-ramped into somebody's misguided ego trip. Oh, that's interesting. She said, second, sometimes when people say, I'm busy, it equals, I'm giving you an excuse. Saying that you're busy is a handy way to outsource your responsibility to your irresponsibility. Since you're always distracted, you don't have to do anything for anybody. Well, that's interesting. She says, sometimes I'm busy equals, I'm afraid. Whether the speaker knows it or not, complaining of busyness is a subtle cry for help. One that reassures us that, yes, we are in demand. As Choi says, we've begun to regard busyness as a virtue. It's maybe second to exhaustion when it comes to being cool at work. All this shows a major error in perspective. She says that one that takes us away from, listen to this, meaningful work. It's it's easy, even enticing, to neglect the importance of filling our time with meaning Thinking instead will be content merely filling our time. She says it's easy to just fill our time, but what about filling our time with meaning? What about living and doing things that matter? What about priorities? And what about aligning our lives that we're able to do and be about the things that really matter in life? I was with one of our board members this this week at breakfast. And he was asking me about my children, and I just was telling him, you know, right now they're 10, 9, and 7. And we wish we could push pause on life. Anybody there, or you've been there, you've said that, I wish I could just push pause on life. Anybody? Okay, so I'm like, I wish we could push pause on life because this stage where we're at, the things that are happening in life right now are so good. We just wish we could push pause and stop right now. Count our days. Cherish these moments. Be about what needs and and, and cries for our help. To love our children well. To spend time together as a family. We wish we could just push pause. But but here's the deal. Even though I wish I could push pause, there's, there's many days that when I'm home, my mind is preoccupied with work. There's many times when I'm at work that my mind is preoccupied with other things. There's many times where we sit down to read the Bible or to pray and we're thinking about everything else in the world except for God because we're hurried all the time. We're preoccupied people. And if we don't make time for what's important, what's urgent will take our time. If we don't make time for what's important, what's urgent will take our time away. And we've got to prioritize. And and I've got to be able to say, 
Here are the priorities in my life. I will align my life around those things and not let the tyranny of the urgent pull me in every single direction. And I've got to be able to say for me, for me, my relationship with God, cultivating intimacy with Christ, reading the scripture and prayer, that is primary. And if I don't take care of my soul, no one else will. I've got to do that. And then secondly, I've got to be the husband that Holly needs, the father that Olivia and Kate and Will needs. Those are my priorities. And everything else in the world will fight for that time and that attention. But I've got to say and you've got to determine what we're going to make time for or our time will be taken away from us. And so we go before God and we pause. And we say, God, help us to understand what's important. God, help us to understand that our life is but a breath and we want to make the most of today and tomorrow. And it doesn't happen by accident. We have to have a plan. Psalm 46, turn there. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I love that, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. We'll stop there. He says, though disaster and calamity may be all around, though the, um, the earth would give way and mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though waters roar and foam. So he's using this imagery of like nature and, and earthquake and storm and tsunami, raging sea and all of this. And he says, no matter what is raging around me, no matter what is going on without or within, I need to remember that God is a refuge and a strength an ever-present help in trouble. And that's why I think he says, Selah. Selah. Our help in trouble comes from God. So here's the interesting thing. When you're around a cancer hospital for a few days, you are around a bunch of people who realize they need help and who are looking for help. Not so much the case this morning. Because we all dress up, we all try to you know, put on a tie for a change just to say, let's mix it up a little bit. We all try to, to put our best foot forward when we come into a place like this. But the reality is, every single one of us needs help. Every single one of us to live the life that God calls us to live, to be the people that he wants us to be. We need his strength, we need his help. We need to realize he is the refuge. He is the strength and ever-present help in trouble. And so, those who realize they need help from God, those who are aware of that, receive the help. And then in turn, people who are helped, help others. But when we find ourselves with no need... We don't turn to God. We feel like we've got it together ourselves. We miss that life that he has for us. We miss those opportunities that he has for us to pass on the blessing. To reach out our hands in grace as he has reached his hand out to us. 
Tuesday morning in Houston, we had a little extra time, and we were in this really um, ritzy part of town, and so we're like, let's just waste a couple, uh, waste an hour and shop a little bit. And so we go into a couple stores that we wouldn't buy anything from; they're expensive. And but as we're there, something interesting happens. There's there's a few uh, wealthy ladies around with their big bags and, and and a lot of things in their hands, and. And, and a couple of times the same thing happened. And I thought it was so interesting. Like, like we're trying to pass in a tight aisle and, and one of these ladies, she's shopping and she's distracted because she's so focused on that. It's as if she didn't even see me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Didn't look at me, didn't speak. It was like I was invisible. So it happens again. We're going out and I'm holding the door for someone and she is oblivious that there's anyone around her trying to help. She's in her own little world. And I was sort of offended. I thought, she didn't even see me. I don't, I don't matter at all. And my mind immediately flashed back 24 hours in a hospital cafeteria while Kate was taking a test. Holly and I sitting there and this girl and her mother walking up and she was just chit-chatting and just loud and just having a great time. And I looked at her and I immediately thought, oh, she looks just like Kate looked a couple years ago. The effects of chemo and radiation, were, you just saw it all over her body. And then I thought, oh, well, we've got to go get Kate in just a minute. I better go get her something to eat. On to the next thing, right? So I run, get Kate some more food, and I come back, and Holly's having a conversation with this little girl and her mom. And you know what my first thought was? We've got to get upstairs. We don't have time for this. Wow. Aaron, you really knocked that one out of the park. And I'm like, Holly, we've, we've got to go. Like, Kate's going to be waiting on us. We've got to hurry. I'm, I'm so busy. I'm so distracted. that I don't even see those very opportunities that God puts right in front of me. Man, I'm so thankful that my wife saw this one. I'm so thankful that Holly just took the time to say, Good morning, how are you doing? Which led to a long conversation because I, I, I said, this girl was pretty chit-chatty. So we had wonderful conversation. They exchanged contact information so we can rally some help for this single mother who's struggling all by herself for months in Houston with her little girl fighting for her life. If it were up to me, that would have been a missed opportunity. But life is a vapor. And God is our helper. And he calls us to get involved and engage with others who are in need. Selah. Think about what that means for our lives. Think about what that means for our opportunities in life. Psalm 62. Start reading in verse 5. Find rest, O my soul. In God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Think about that. This, this declaration that we can find rest in our souls. 
in God alone. We can find hope that comes from Him that is beyond any hope that this world can offer. That we can trust in Him at all times because He is a refuge. God is a refuge. And the language here of this passage is he's a firm foundation that, that if you build upon that kind of foundation, even if storms come, even if waves batter and winds come against, it's still strong, it's still firm because that foundation is not shaken on him, that God is a refuge. But here's the question, did you notice the pronouns? It's not just that God is a refuge. Look what he says. Find rest, O my soul. He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, my salvation, my mighty rock, my refuge. My refuge. God is our refuge. See, there's intimacy. It's personal here. And it's not us just standing back at a distance thinking, yeah, we believe God is a refuge for some people. It's being able to make the declaration, I have chosen, I have stepped out, I have received, He is my refuge. He is my hope. He is our refuge. We belong to Him. And it's that personal remembering that He's there. And that he cares. And as I was meeting with this family Thursday and listening to this story of how they've lost their, their 18-year-old son and I'm speechless and I'm just sitting there saying, God, you've got you to gotta give me something. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm out of words, God. Finally, after listening, God just opened the door wide to speak. And I said, no matter the those storms are all around you right now and life just doesn't even seem manageable. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our help in a time of need. He has not left you. He is here. And I may not be able to give words to explain why, but I can point you to the one who is still sovereign, still in control, even when life seems like it's out of control. And that's where we find hope, and that's where we find a strength that we can endure whatever comes our way. Can you say this morning, God is my refuge? I don't have to handle the hard times alone. I don't have to look at my own strength and say, I don't know if I can do this. Because if God is... My refuge, if God is our refuge, it's not about what can you handle on your own. It's about you give to Him your pain. You give to Him your grief. You give to Him those questions, that, that uncertainty in the future, that confusion. You give it to Him and say, God, I know that you are strong. I know that you are my refuge. Help me. I trust you. And then we begin to find a surprising strength. We begin to find a peace that passes all understanding. And we don't necessarily understand it, but we experience it. My hope and my prayer is that you would experience God. You would experience His grace, His love, 
The fact that he is a refuge, that you would experience the fact that he is our helper. And it may not always make sense, but you would experience it nonetheless. And you would be changed, transformed forever. For some of you today, I pray that you would today experience the joy of forgiveness. You may have never experienced that, but maybe today would be the day you're set free from guilt and shame because the grace of Jesus overwhelms you and washes away all of that garbage, changes you, transforms your life, and you walk out of here new. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you for little words like Selah. That although they are small, they cause us to think deeply. And they cause passages to take on a new meaning. They cause us who are hurried in our lives to slow down long enough to listen. So God, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would move. We pray that you would in our lives let us see how good you are, how gracious you are, how much you love us. So just even in this time of prayer, I want to just give you sort of a picture. And, and here's the, the image that I had as I was thinking through this idea of Selah. We need to press pause. And sometimes when we're watching a movie around the house on a DVD, we press pause. Now, we don't press pause because we want to stay in pause. We press pause to sort of take a break, to do something. Uh, and then we're going to re-engage. And so pressing pause, Selah is that moment to say, I'm pressing pause, but I'm going to get with it again. I'm going to go forward again. See, in my home, if you press pause on the DVD and then you leave shuts off it totally disengages pressing Paul saying Selah is not a path to disengagement it's a path to recuperate to be refreshed to be renewed to go again soon in a new strength and a new power so for just a second for just a moment, would you just think about what we've said here today? Think about Scripture. Think about the truths of Christ's grace and Christ's love. Selah.